The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. And good afternoon everybody. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruth here. And today we are talking about EMDR. And uh, EMDR is a, it's an acronym um, and the, the acronym stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it's a method by which clinicians are able to modify certain types of emotional reactions that come with uh, recovery from trauma, anxiety, depression, uh, and other conditions. Our guest today is Nicholas Strauss, and Nicholas uh, is the founder of Westport Family Counseling in Connecticut. He is, uh, worked at several major hospitals, including the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, New York State Psychiatric Institute, and Silver Hill Hospital. Um, Mr. Strauss did his undergraduate work at New York University, his master's at Adelphi, and attended classes at the Child Trauma Institute, where he trained in EMDR. um, uh, Nicholas is also certified in EMDR and specializes in the use of adaptive treatment strategies. And in today's world, where we are... um, we're, we're all experiencing you know, higher levels of stress uh, and the incidents of trauma, anxiety, depression uh, seem to be on the rise. Uh, having strategies, uh, numerous strategies to help people find new ways to cope uh, is really, really, really important. So, Nicholas, we're really glad to have you on the show and help us uh, as an audience learn about uh, EMDR and how it's used. Thanks, Jonathan. I really appreciate you having me. It's uh, sure. a pleasure to speak with you. Um, and, and I'm really glad that you're, you're doing a segment on EMDR because uh, EMDR is an incredibly powerful tool that's been around uh, since the late 80s. And it's been very well researched and um, has been shown to have tremendous results. And the way that it's believed to work is that um, it actually affects uh, the, the, the brain, the actual neural activity. Uh, specifically, it's the uh, ventral lateral and central lateral nuclei. And so sort of in layman's terms, it's as if we found a way to move energy um, through our mind, through the brain and the mind, and repair uh, and integrate um, uh, when we've had uh, certain issues, certain disturbance, uh, whether it involves high anxiety, whether it involves trauma, whether it's post-traumatic stress, um, there's, there's actually something that we can do to, to bypass the cerebral process that's often associated with talk therapy. Um, so it's, a, as you said, very adaptive. And we can actually help someone process uh, these experiences and move forward instead of feeling stuck. So it's where a, it's did very, you first... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's a very uh, structured 
protocol, and um, it, uh, it, it often sounds as if it's uh, a little bit um, simple in the way that it works because it, it actually uh, utilizes a naturally occurring process called bilateral brain stimulation. And people are most familiar with this uh, during a stage of sleep called REM sleep, rapid eye movement. And that's um, this bilateral brain stimulation during rapid eye movement sleep is, is when you have two regions of the brain that are literally uh, communicating. They are sending signals to one another, and this has been uh, documented with uh, fMRIs. And so you have the amygdala, which is the emotional part, and you have the hippocampus, which is the intellectual part. Uh, sometimes people refer to it as the voluntary and involuntary parts of our thinking and nervous system. And they are communicating, and what we believe is going on is that the mind is making sense of everything from the day to um, uh, patterns, recurring patterns, and certainly, um, as I referred to earlier, disturbance. So, um, well, I mean, it's really uh, something that I think is, um, as you said, you know, it, it kind of sounds simple, but you talk about eye movement and, and whatnot, but there certainly seems to be a lot of science behind it. Where did you first uh, learn about EMDR and, and, you know, become interested in it? Well, um, I actually... Uh, as, as you had mentioned when you introduced me, was, was doing some work at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Uh, it was about the same time when I actually went to school uh, to study social work and then to specialize in mental health. And um, I could see uh, in the work that I was doing at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center that there was uh, trauma everywhere, people who were living with an ongoing state of terminal illness, um, and then in getting to know people, um, that really uh, they had had many instances of trauma before this or they knew someone who had experienced trauma. Um, it wasn't too long after that I also um, uh, lived through uh, 9-11 uh, in New York City. And, of course, uh, trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder were, were talked about constantly. So I, I came across it through my studies. I came across it through my internships. And I came across it uh, in practice uh, before I actually formally studied it. Um, so uh, I really uh, started to get a sense that this was a powerful tool that was being used uh, a great deal. Um, after seeing that it was being used so much for trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder, I then started to see how it's used for so many other uh, disorders or um, I should say sort of uh, disturbing states. Mm -hmm. So, it, and it certainly sounds like, um, you know, the, the practice has been around for a long time, but is there more and more evidence now to support its use? Absolutely. They are doing all kinds of studies, as I said, everything from fMRIs, where they are actually looking at people's brains when they are using EMDR, to, you know, observation in the therapy room, uh, to actual uh, other forms of research uh, that um, will look at uh, the neurobiological um, uh, relationship to EMDR and what is actually happening uh, and uh, how this energy is actually moving, how uh, we, we are uh, triggering uh, synaptic responses and how we are working with the, uh, the, the memory uh, centers of the brain to help people process disturbance. And um, it, it, it's, it's really well documented, so it's quite scientific, even though, as, as we keep saying, it does sound 
simple in a way. Right. Right. Well, there's nothing simple about the brain, I think. <laughs> it's, you know, it's no. Only, um, <laughs> you know, I know that we're learning more and more every day about uh, the effects of trauma on the brain and, and really the neuro, neurochemical um, uh, and, you know, pathway interruptions that are happening when somebody is uh, experiences a trauma or, um, you know, is trying to recover from that. And, um, you know, so this really sounds like, a, you know, again, sort of something that's, well, it's been around a while, still very promising in some ways uh, as, you know, as a practice that uh, has the potential to grow. Well, that, that's the thing is, is that I think as people start to expand their understanding of trauma uh, and start to look at it as uh, disturbance, perhaps, and different levels of disturbance on a continuum, you can start to see how EMDR can be applied to help people in all different sorts of situations. You can help people who are dealing with substance abuse. You can help people who are dealing with phobias. You can help people who are dealing with panic disorders. You can help people who are dealing with what I would call nonverbal systemic disorders. And what I mean by that is sometimes people will have uh, lived with depression for a long period of time and come to have a belief about themselves, about their life, because they have uh, been having many repeated experiences of um, failure to achieve or they, they at least perceive themselves this way. And that in and of itself is a very awful feeling that really has a physical component that lives within us. We can actually focus on these states of being or states of mind and, mm-hmm. and process that awful feeling so that people can actually move past that type of belief system. And it, it can be quite extraordinary because you can spend years doing that or trying to do it sometimes in talk therapy, what people consider standard talk therapy or psychodynamic therapies. But there are certain situations that are so uh, filled with irrational response because of the heightened emotion, that it's not always possible to really wrap your mind around something intellectual and use it as a tool to uh, move yourself forward. And so that's where something like EMDR is particularly rewarding because it's almost like you have this this new tool, this, you know, it's like uh, laser surgery coming along, and, and, and here we are actually getting in there, so to speak, Actually getting in there, it almost feels surgical, and helping people with the, with the, the actual uh, uh, experience itself. You can almost feel it happening um, in the neural pathways. Right. You know, it, it's, um, I think like a lot of practices in, in mental health treatment and addiction treatment, you know, sometimes something comes along that seems really promising, but there's always been a lot of, skept- you know, there's a lot of skepticism at first in terms of, you know, right. you know what, what's the real effect happening here? Um, is that you know something you've you've experienced when talking about EMDR? Absolutely. Um, whenever I introduce it to a client, I try to be very careful about how I do introduce it because I am aware of what you just said, which is that it often sounds too good to be true, or it sounds a little bit hokey. It sounds like um, we're talking sometimes about something that is new agey, something that people associate with simply having positive thinking. But I do take time to explain how it works and how there really is something quite scientific involved um, in which people are using this uh, bilateral stimulation to cause bilateral brain stimulation, and that happens naturally. It's quite scientific. You can 
look at the research, and it involves either auditory, uh, monotonous, rhythmic tones, or tactile, uh, rhythmic uh, uh, um, vibrations, uh, or moving your eyes back and forth in a uh, even tracking. And as this happens, this literally physically causes bilateral brain stimulation to occur. And people will feel, as it's going on, that their working memory is being interrupted. So they will actually articulate, you know, it's difficult to focus on the target that we're talking about. And that, in fact, is the point. That's exactly how we start to, to desensitize someone from, from the height, heightened disturbance that they're experiencing. So you actually can, can follow the, the method and you can feel it happening. And so though it sounds a little simple and hokey at the beginning, if you give it a try, you will actually experience the, the effect immediately. Right. Well, and I think that, um, you know, when you, you mentioned earlier sort of comparing it to talk therapy, uh, I, I think when people talk about therapy, they, they think about, okay, I'm going to go and talk to somebody about my problems, Right. And um, certainly this sounds like, uh, you know, a procedure that, that is different than people are expecting when they first come in. And um, so, you know, has that ever become uh, you know, more of a challenge than you anticipate in terms of trying to help people, uh, you know, learn about it and, and give it a try and feel safe doing that? Well, uh, it's not really a challenge because um, in order to begin EMDR and to use EMDR, you do have to establish a relationship with a therapist. So there is at least a little bit of talk therapy involved, and you want to establish a trusting relationship where the person really feels that you're reliable and dependable and that you're engaged and they're being cared about. And so there is some history gathering that goes on, and um, through all of this, uh, it, it, there's a kind of a natural uh, way to uh, transition into EMDR. It doesn't seem like they are at all at odds with one another. Although people are often very attracted to trying EMDR because it does, in fact, seem like an alternative to talk therapy, even though, as I said, there is talk therapy involved in establishing a foundation to begin the EMDR and to continue using it. Exactly. Well, good. So we're... um when we come back from the break, we'll be talking more about, uh, about EMDR and how it works and how people can benefit from it. So we'll be back here in about two minutes. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. 
you can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. It's a glorious day here in New Hampshire uh, on this 18th day of April. It's also uh, Boston Marathon Day today, and if you're out there running the marathon and not listening, I hope you are able to download us later. But uh, we are really excited to have our guest today, Nicholas Strauss, who's uh, helping us learn a little bit more about EMDR, uh, which is the acronym that stands for Eye Movement Desensitization. I can never say this word right. Desensitization and reprocessing. Desensitization, that's right. Right, um, exactly. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it. appreciate you welcoming and, me back. Sure. So, we, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, in, our, in our earlier segment, how EMDR, I, I think, you know, I always associated EMDR with treatment for, um, specifically for PTSD, but you, you described earlier that there's a lot of other applications and, um, I wonder if you might be able to willing, be willing to kind of share uh, sort of an anonymous case example with us that, that would help illustrate the use of EMDR. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, I actually was, was unaware that today is the Boston Marathon. I heard you just say that. And, of course, one of the first things that came up for me was, uh, if you remember, it was uh, last year or two years ago with the, uh, the Boston Bombers. Um, yep. People sometimes uh, come for EMDR because of uh, an event that has occurred. They don't even always know how deeply they're affected by it, but it may reside in them, just as I was reminded right now when you, when you brought it to my attention about the Boston Marathon. And to some level, it really has stuck with me. So that's where EMDR uh, can be very, very helpful. And whether someone's coming in for an actual event like that, where they were present, or whether it's secondhand trauma because it's uh, something that is now global because of the news, um, it is still something that can be treated very, very uh, effectively with EMDR. But people come for many, many reasons, and interestingly, they don't always know exactly why they come. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. So in situations where people are coming for very specific targets, maybe like the one that I just mentioned, it may be that someone had a car accident 
It may be that somebody had an assault or something that's very concrete, something they have a very distinct memory about. It may be something that is uh, now more and more commonly treated with EMDR, which is a phobia. So there are people who will come to treatment for, let's say, claustrophobia or some people who are frightened of flying or frightened of public speaking. And whereas before, a lot of the tools that were used were things like cognitive behavioral therapy or biofeedback or neurofeedback, now what we do with uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is we focus on this intense anxiety that people experience or this intense fear that they experience that's related to a very specific circumstance. So it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a trauma that has occurred, but a fear, an anticipatory anxiety that feels very much like it's related to something in which someone has had a trauma and a very bad experience and they can't let go of it. So the reason I had referenced um, uh, that people sometimes don't know about what they're coming for is they may come for something like what I just said, a, a kind of a uh, phobia, and they may discover as we go through the protocol, which involves something called a float back, they may discover that there is an earlier trauma that informs their fear. Now, um, EMDR is not actually used to either retrieve memories or erase memories. Those are misconceptions. However, there is a byproduct of EMDR that does occur as you go through this protocol and use a float back in which people often remember very early details of their life. And it's as if those details are being de-repressed. And so in certain situations, you can come up with a trauma that actually may have occurred that people have been very guarded against, a trauma that has all the core components of a later, later disturbance, like let's say the fear of flying, helplessness, powerlessness, uh, fear of being out of control. And so the similarity between the two uh, is really, it's kind of like a math. You're finding the common denominators and in finding them and when a link occurs, suddenly people can sometimes get in touch with something that they had been too frightened to look at for many years and had actually been informing this very specific phobia they had and maybe other types of disturbance that have been hindering them. So I have found a great deal of success in, in using EMDR uh, in, in many different types of situations. With the fear of flying example that I gave you, I have to tell you quite honestly, um, sometimes I, I wish that I was in a room with, with, with peers when I'm working with someone because uh, it has been so successful that it sometimes it will cause you to think, well, how did that happen, even though I know how it happens? And there's a particular case I w I'm thinking of in which I worked with a, a gentleman who was absolutely terrified of flying. And... What we did was we recreated, it may sound like uh, something that borders on in vivo therapy, but it's not exactly that. You're looking at their fear, their fantasy uh, of, of what is to come, or an experience he actually had in which uh, he had a, a normal flight, uh, normal by the standards of people who are not afraid of flying, but he still felt incredible dysregulation and disturbance. So we looked at this in his mind's eye, so to speak, as we used EMDR, 
and we desensitized him. In other words, he was able to come back to his experience, his fantasy, and his memory, and he was able to then look at it without feeling disturbed. He was not having the dysregulation that he normally had when he just had a, even the thought of getting on, on board a plane. So it was so incredible that I remember after several sessions, uh, it was about all that it took to help him process this, he had a business flight coming up and he was traveling to Europe and um, he went on the flight and um, a couple of days later, I re received a call un unexpectedly. It was from this man and he said, I have to tell you, um, I, I'm having a hard time believing how effective this is because I not only was not frightened, I actually enjoyed the flight. And <laughs> it, it, it sounds hard to believe, uh, but this has happened so many times that I, I actually do, I do believe it. And uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, stories like that one out there and a lot of research, too, to go along with it. So it's quite extraordinary. Um, again, though, as I said, sometimes you will come up with situations where you may not know exactly what you're getting into, and you have something that is like a memory de-repression, and someone may begin with a situation like the one I said, and then all of a sudden, as we go further and further back, they may suddenly uh, realize that they're talking about something else that has shared components. That's a situation which requires a, an adjustment in which you then look at an earlier target, and you, you use the same protocol in many cases. Sometimes it's a slightly different one, but it's uh, still the same principles with the EMDR. And you go through it again very, very slowly, uh, breaking up this disturbance, processing it, and helping the person integrate it. And I have uh, other you know, wonderful success stories with that too. And it's, it's just sometimes just too good, too good to be true to, to believe that you can help somebody let go of all of those things. Right. Well, you know, it's, I mean, I think you make a really great point, which is that, you know, again, we've sort of been conditioned to think about um, how we solve these kinds of challenges in our life is by talking through them. And what you're really doing in EMDR is, you're, you're, you know, you're, there's a talking process, but you're also really helping to sort of reset, you know, uh, reset a, a, a broken circuit, if you will, in the brain by, you know, by this process. And... Um, then allows people to kind of both look at themselves as if they're from the outside and, and evaluate things objectively, but then also sort of retrain the brain to deal with stressful situations um, more realistically as they're happening as opposed to, you know, being exaggerated or accelerated in some way because of prior fears. Exactly. So at the top of this, uh, when we came back from break, when you mentioned the Boston Marathon, I have that immediate association and a certain, you know, mild level of anxiety about it. Well, yeah. that's an association, and what we have to do is we have to recondition. And there's a process that is called counterconditioning or reciprocal, reciprocal inhibition. And, and what happens then is when the association between an intense disturbance or a traumatic memory and the distress response gets weaker, and weaker until it feels like you are in control of it and you are empowered. And it, it's quite extraordinary. So you're changing your association with the actual disturbance or source of it. Right, right. 
Well, I think that's really the key, right? Is, is changing that, um, re- resetting that in a way that okay, you're looking at things a little bit more objectively and a little bit more realistically. Right, and and you really can do that uh, using this tool because it by interrupting the working memory, by causing this bilateral brain stimulation, you are actually, in a way, taking people's mind off of the situation so that they can't sort of distract themselves from processing it, even though they are actually focusing on the disturbance. So it's, it's kind of a, um, a strange thing that's occurring. At the same time, you, you are unable to focus in the way that you normally do and in the way that you normally fear it or feel disturbed by it, and yet you are actually talking about it in more detail than you may have ever talked about it before, or maybe recounting it somewhat exactly. Yeah. But doing so without sort of the emotional response that that typically comes with it. Exactly. And remember, uh, so much of what we learn, in fact, I would even put myself out there, I guess on a limb, by saying most of what we learn is, in fact, uh, learned in relationship, even if we are alone, it's sort of in relationship to thoughts of another or relationships we've had. So we encode in, in, in relationship. And so that's where uh, the therapy is so helpful because in working with a therapist and creating a safe environment and uh, working through this disturbance, you are re-encoding uh, your ideas about the experience. You know, I heard somebody once talk about having a relationship with fear or a relationship with failure, you know, and, and um, I think that really speaks to what, you're, what, you're, what you just said in terms of, you know, we have a relationship with the environment and, and with our emotions and our responses that, um, you know, I think a lot of times people don't understand really that they have the ability to do some things that help, um, help alter that relationship so that it becomes a healthier one. And then one that's more more grounded and reality based. Yeah, if if we have time, I'll just tell you very quickly about um, a situation where I helped someone who you really could say had a relationship with pain um, and and fear. So this person had had so much trauma in their life. They had grown up in a third world country and been um, victim to war and all. Uh, other types of uh, um, comorbid uh, situ- uh, symptoms and symptomatology, family breakup, uh, all kinds of different things. And what we found out when using the EMDR is that when they focused on a certain sensation, and this was one of those moments where it was a, just a very eerie revelation, they realized that some of the actual somatic pain that they carried around, the actual physical pain that they'd been to the doctor for, was in fact the body's representation of the pain itself, the the emotional pain, that was very much like a companion. And so this person who had been traumatized so greatly throughout their life had one constant, one most consistent relationship, as you, as you mirrored back, which was with pain. And when we got to a deep enough place with the EMDR, this person broke into tears and had an incredibly cathartic experience in which he had the image of letting go of the pain right. by literally shaking hands with it and saying goodbye. Wow, that's really powerful. 
And you know we're yeah. um, we're going to head into break, but I uh, you know I think the we're really talking about um, you know, sort of a strategy that helps people really break that association. And um, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more how it works, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll be back here in just a couple minutes. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host today, Jonathan Ruthier, and... We are talking with Nicholas Strauss, who is uh, the director of the Westport Family Counseling uh, in Connecticut and has also worked at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, New York State Psychiatric Institute, and Silver Hill Hospital. And we're talking today about EMDR, and I'm going to say this right the first time. It's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, uh, which is a method by which um, clinicians are able to interrupt certain types of emotional reactions uh, and thoughts that repeat with the same characteristics. And just before the break, we were um, you know, hearing a, a really powerful example of somebody who um, uh, you know, had a long relationship with pain and through uh, the process of EMDR was able to, to end that uh, pain sensation and, and be able to sort of, as you said, Nicholas, you know, just sort of shake hands with pain and say goodbye. And that, this sort of was a very powerful example, I think, of um, you know, being able to sort of retrain your brain and um, work through something that, you know, for a lot of certainly a lot of people deal with chronic pain, 
and, uh, and certainly substance abuse as well. And uh, you know, the process of being able to get to a point of saying, okay, this is, I'm all done with this relationship now, um, certainly seems profound. It, it really is incredibly profound. And in that particular case, uh, you know, I, I tell that story with a lot of passion, which may make it seem as if it were just an incredible exception. And it, it fortunately is not an exception. I've had many of these experiences with people, but in, in, in that one in particular, I was absolutely struck because we were... Uh, as a, you know, a team in a way, I was helping him focus on this image that came into his mind as he was looking at the pain, and it developed into this idea of him with a friend saying goodbye, at which point it became clear to this person how profound that was, how painful it was, how... This is going to sound bizarre, but in a way, how beautiful it was. It was a friendship. It was a companion that had not abandoned this person who had been abandoned by people so many times. And so many of us actually deal with this type of experience. And substance abuse is one of these situations where I come across uh, that uh, often because what people are uh, sometimes unaware of and sometimes quite aware of is that they are carrying with them a number of urges, a number of triggers and stressors uh, or stress uh, responses that are very familiar, that they can almost count on. In fact, in breaking it down in EMDR, sometimes there seems to be a narrative that's told about the process that's involved in substance abuse. It not only involves beliefs that people have about themselves, but uh, and, and how these beliefs actually come into their mind around the use of substances or abuse of substances, but the actual moments of feeling that they are giving in, even when they don't wish to, uh, these are moments that are told in a story-like way in which if you slow it down, it's like you're slowing down a videotape. If you slow it down enough, you can actually see a relationship occurring. And it's something that when you focus on and explore enough uh, and, and process enough with EMDR can be incredibly helpful in the treatment of substance abuse. Well, you make, um, you know, I, I think that description of sort of slowing the tape down or slowing the film down, you know, to really be able to, uh, really like, time, you know, like, like football coaches do, right? I mean, you play it over and again and say, okay, well, let's look at what's really happening here. How does that exactly. how does that actually work sort of in a, you know, uh, in a session with somebody? Right. Well, you know, EMDR is a, a combination of, of different types of therapy in a way. Uh, we've talked about the aspect that's psychodynamic. Um, there's uh, an aspect, too, that is involved uh, in using mindfulness. And so... Uh, for people who don't know briefly, I'll just try and explain that mindfulness involves sort of watching, observing an experience without necessarily investing a judgment or a conclusion or necessarily using an assumption you have about it to make decisions. And so in substance abuse, this can be extremely important because you're learning distress tolerance through this mindfulness and you're also learning to look at the 
physical and physiological experience, the craving, the urge, and not necessarily make some kind of judgment about yourself, but rather to see it as a, a conditioned response, to see it as a habit. So when we're using EMDR and you're breaking it down more and more slowly and you're looking at the parts of you that are feeling extraordinary and profound feelings and emotions like helplessness and powerlessness and loss of control or entitlement and incredible power and grandiosity. When you have these very packed experiences sort of in the kernel of the urge and you unpack it and you look at it and you look at it in a way with so much detail that it becomes, as we were saying, a slowed down videotape, you are able to watch it happen so that you can get in between the urge and then the action. So you are able to kind of disconnect yourself from what you are accustomed to feeling and responding to and watch it with a kind of a, an um, uh, observation that is uh, akin to feeling more as if you are looking at it from a bird's eye view. You know, this, um, I, I, um, something in my mind sort of is, you know, saying this thing seems like it's a really, it's a very visual kind of exercise, right? Or, or an exercise using visualization. Um, is that, right. you know, is that part of the process? Right. It, it, it certainly is. That's a, a very good term to bring into it, visualization. Because what happens is that um, in order to focus on experiences, disturbing experiences, we are not always as considered with the, uh, sorry, we're not um, always as um, uh, worried about the exact concrete detail, like the you know, specific uh, name of something as we are with the the nuance and phenomena of the experience itself. And so in order to focus on an experience, we use language during EMDR uh, that helps people make it more vivid. So in other words, in looking at something like an urge uh, in the treatment of substance abuse, we yeah. might ask somebody, as strange as this may sound to the listener who, who has not yet experienced EMDR, we might ask somebody, where is that located in your body, where, where do you feel it, and what does it look like? How can you explain it to me, um, maybe as an artist? In other words, does it have a color? Does it have a shape? Does it have a size? Does it have a temperature? Does it have movement? Does it have an intelligence? Now, these may sound, again, like very strange questions, but the reason we're looking to flesh it out like this is that what we've learned in research is that the body remembers very much like a flight recorder on an airplane all kinds of metadata. So we remember pupil dilation and volume of voice and rapidity of speech. We remember that we picked at our fingers at certain times and we remember the temperature outside the room and inside the room and the temperature of our palms and all of these subtle differences. And so as we visualize the experience in using that word that you brought up, uh, we are able to create these maps that lead us back to more and more detail, making it possible to slow down the videotape in the way that we were talking about earlier. Right. 
the um, and this is all done. Is this all done in a, in a in a sort of regular conscious state with somebody, or is there anything you know sort of uh, semi hypnotic that happens in terms of getting somebody prepared for um, this kind of work? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked that question because, in fact, that's often something that runs through my mind when I'm first introducing EMDR to people and I'm explaining how it works. I'm very careful to let them know, even though this sounds like it could involve hypnosis or it sounds like you might need to take a medication or something to get into a trance, there is, in fact, no hypnosis. There is no altered state. There's no trance. There are no code words. Uh, the only different wording is the, is the type that I just spoke to you about a moment ago in trying to focus on a, an experience very, very uh, uh, directly and uh, in detail. And sometimes uh, it may curtail talking about it more than um, we need to once we've defined it um, and once we've defined negative cognitions that go along with it. But I'm very clear and people will experience, in fact, that we talk very much like this. You don't go anywhere. You don't leave the room uh, in, in any way, in any metaphysical way, and there's no medication use, used, and there's no hypnosis or anything that would uh, uh, be um, something different than what you would experience in a normal conversation. The only difference is that you're incurring bilateral stimulation, thereby creating the bilateral brain stimulation, and you are targeting or focusing on something very specific. Okay. And so what is, what's providing the stimulation then? So there are three types of stimulation that are used. And uh, again, this is something that you can play around with uh, literally on your own to see that it is real and you can research it. It is rhythmic, metronomic, monotonous sound, sight, or touch. So people can respond better to one or another, and sometimes people respond very well by using more than just one. So they might actually have headphones on that provide a monotonous tone, a metronomic tone, a back and forth to the left and right ear, while they might be tracking a light on a light bar or a therapist's hand, and they're moving their eyes only from left to right, left to right, very evenly, or they might be holding something called theratappers, which are these uh, devices attached to a light bar or sometimes not used with a light bar. Again, you have left to right, left to right, metronomic, monotonous vibrations. And it simply starts bilateral stimulation in the body and in the brain. And um, that's when we can begin process- processing. Um, so, it's, uh, so it sounds like it's you're actually- getting... Really getting the brain into a rhythm where it can really focus and be uh, be looking at things objectively. And we're going to have to go to break here in a second. But um, I, you know, I think there's um, there seems to be a lot of tie-in too with with other strategies uh, such as using mandalas or you know, uh, you know there's a lot of you know adult coloring even. But maybe the same kind of process happening. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about um, about how this all works and learn a little bit more about how how uh, people can get more information and resources.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and we're talking with Nicholas Strauss about EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. reprocessing. Thank you. Yep. I knew I would almost get that one. Um, so you know, just, just before the break, we were talking a little bit more about you know, specifically what is happening in EMDR that, that helps a person you have the process of really, really challenging either memories or circumstances uh, without having their brain light up in, in a fearful or protective fight-or-flight kind of way. And um, you, you described it as a sort of rhythmic, metronomic, uh, monotonous sound, sight, uh, or um, uh, tactile, or your feeling, or, right, tactile. Right. And right. I... I, so, I Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was going to say, so what, what actually is happening, when that just begins, if it's left alone, meaning we don't target something disturbing, it's, we call that resourcing. And in effect, it's actually quite relaxing. It kind of puts somebody in a very meditative state. You know, it's almost like the way people feel when they watch television or they're playing a video game that they enjoy. You kind of uh, remove yourself from the full uh, disturbance of the experience, you kind of transcend it, you kind of become uh, relaxed into it. Now, of course, this fluctuates a lot as you start to talk about something disturbing, but what is in fact happening is you are interrupting your working memory. So people might be familiar with that sensation if they're multitasking. So they're on the phone 
and their child asks them something and they're in the middle of writing something down, they cannot recall what was just said to them on the phone to write down or was it something that their child said that they actually meant to write down and it becomes quite confusing because their working memory is not actually uh, left intact and able to simply store the information the way it, it usually does. So in a way, we're talking a lot about memory. We're talking about how disturbance is associated with memory. And so if we are able to disconnect your memory of the disturbance uh, in such a way that you can have a different association or that you can uh, let go of the disturbing uh, association that you have, uh, you can move past this. So in a way, it's like you said, it's sort of uh, kind of putting yourself in a relaxed state, but also as you get into something that's not so relaxing, there's something quite scientific going on, which is that you're being directed to focus on something and at the same time unable to have the routine association that you usually have with it. Yeah, because you've interrupted that, that pattern of thinking and you know, you've, you've created a, a zone, I guess, for your brain to go into and we rethink through the, the uh, or, or re-experience the event but without all the fear and, uh, you know, or, or intensity that goes with it. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's, that, that's, very, that's, that's very accurate. Um, so, you know, we are working with the perceptual, the cognitive, the memorial, the somatosensory, integration, and we are, we are actually uh, kind of cleaning it, we are processing, we are uh, causing um, new associations to occur that are, in fact, the opposite of disturbance. Uh, they are either benign or even positive and pleasurable. Which I'm sure for a lot of people is, uh, you know, such a, a relief um, and an experience that you know, kind of like you described with um, somebody you worked with, with you know, who flew to Europe. Like, I don't get right. how I could actually experience some pleasure out of this activity that I feared and was so anxious about for so long. Right. Well, when people think about how they learn about their experiences, how they, they come to hold on to them, they, they will possibly be aware that there's a lot that they don't understand about how they got that impression in the first place how they started to associate uh, a car accident that they walked away from unharmed and no one else being harmed and no serious damage uh, with the feeling of being uh, completely helpless as a person or unable to uh, be potent or provide in some way, all coming from this, this situation in which concretely nothing has occurred. And there are, there are, I, mean, I don't mean nothing has occurred, but uh, no uh, life or death situation actually happened. Um, it was a fender bender. There was an association with it and other associations with it and other variables that all feed how this memory was stored, how this experience was stored, how it became a disturbing memory. And so um, it's, it's not at all unusual to have somebody say, I don't get this. I don't get how this can actually work. Uh, right. We, 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 don't, we don't get it as it's happening in the first place. We just live our lives forward. And right. so it's, uh, it's, it's equally astonishing to see it work as we uh, apply it sometimes, sometimes what seems to be retroactively. Yeah. Well, you know, you made, I mean, I, I think the statement you've made a couple of times throughout our show today has been, you know, the body, um, 
the body remembers things, and they're not conscious. Like, we don't think about them, but like you said, you know, the body knows when to tap fingers at a certain time or, you know, um, I mean, obviously there's other regulatory processes in the body, right, like our, you know, uh, autonomic nervous system and, and, and all that. But, um, you know, what you're really talking about here is helping the body to unlearn a response to something threatening and, and really being able to, um, to break that association so that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't continue in a way that's really dysfunctional or not. Um, not helpful to the person's life. Nicholas, I, uh, you know, we're, we're, our show is just about to end. I want to thank you again for, for coming on and, and just take a second here to let folks know if they, if they want more information, um, they, uh, they can visit your website, which is www.westportfamilycounseling.org. Um, and, uh, and so, Nicholas, you know, just uh, thank you again for, for sharing your information, your insight, um, and this really important material with our audience today. Oh, well, thank you very much, Jonathan. I, I really actually appreciate this opportunity. It's a, a great topic and, and very important subject, and it's a pleasure to talk with you. Wonderful. And to all our listeners out there, uh, thank you for tuning in once again. Um, you know, we love being able to provide this information for you, and uh, we hope to see you or have you hear us back again next Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel at one hour at a time. Thank you all, and have a great week. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.